This is an AMI podcast. Hello to you all and welcome to Accessing Art with Amy. I'm your host, Amy Amanti. My pronouns are she, her. Now, illustrators and painters, they often draw things that they have seen in real life or have some kind of visual reference for, like a dragon, perhaps. Now, I'm a low vision artist, but I also have had the privilege of having sight. So I have a visual reference guide because I didn't lose my sight until I was 24 years old. But if you've never had the privilege of sight, one might wonder how you translate an image in your mind into a tactile medium or any medium for that matter. I was sure curious. So Johnny Tai, someone who I've known for years, recently shared with me about his tactile art practice. So I jumped at the opportunity to ask more questions. Joining us from his home in Richmond, British Columbia, please welcome my friend, Johnny. My name is Johnny Tai, also known as Johnny Tiger. Pronoun, he, him. I am a totally blind and partially deaf Asian Chinese living in Richmond, British Columbia. For practice, I am a musician, singer, songwriter, and a tactile artist. Welcome, Johnny. Johnny Tiger. To accessing art with Amy, it's a pleasure to have you in the space. Yay! Yay! Right? This is, this is like like uh, the, the the third time, fourth time that uh, you interviewed me in various forms. So pretty cool. I know. We're, I love it. I, I mean, I, we're I, like old friends. I mean, we 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 are old friends. <laughs> we've known each other for years, and it it isn't until I don't know relatively recently because I knew you were a singer songwriter, but I didn't. I knew you as a martial artist and a dragon boater. I didn't know about the tactile art. So we're going to talk about the singing, singing, songwriting stuff and the tactile arts um, today. So I'm really I'm really happy that you've joined us. So, Johnny, I mean, I think one of the things that might be the question on people's minds when you identify yourself as totally blind and partially deaf. And when they hear partially deaf, they think, well, how does somebody who's partially deaf access music? So tell us a bit about your background in terms of, of singing and songwriting and uh, why that is such a, uh, such a love, such a passion for you. So the funny thing is when I was little, uh, my father wanted me and my brother and sister to all pick up an instrument. And it wasn't for love of music. It was just something uh, a family with good standing too uh-huh, much right. money to know what to do with what what their kids to do back then, right? Uh, playing right into that stereotype of an Asian family that you know kids go to school after school you got to do your ballet and swimming and violin and all that stuff. So it started out as that, and honestly, I fought quite hard against that for. The first few years, I, I I had no love for music when I was young, especially uh, when it's under that kind of uh, motivation. Uh, right. My, my my dad was really strict about it too. That like you got to practice one hour every day, and uh, you have to know how to play this and that. And my my father didn't didn't want me to play anything like popular music. He wanted just pure classical music. Right. So. Uh, it was a very pressure cooker environment, but all that really changed when I uh, was uh, 15, 14, 15, uh, and you know when you go into high school and start to 
try to uh, understand a little bit about yourself. And, you know, all the, all the kids were doing things to be cool. And that's when I suddenly realized that me being a great musician, and I'm not sitting here saying I'm a great musician. I'm saying that back then. But to me, me being a great musician would make me really cool. Uh, sort of like a chick magnet, sort of. <laughs> uh, like, supposedly, I looked super awesome when I was sitting at the piano playing. And uh, I had just like a very dreamy, serious look on my face. And uh, girls in high school just loved that. Uh, so I really played into that. And then someone told me, uh, that guitar, like women, uh, girls, like people play guitar. So I started wanting to learn guitar and I learned guitar. And in the end, this kind of um, wonky beginning in music actually ended up uh, helping me pay my own way through college. When I was going through college and university, uh, living off of student loan. And I had so little money because I was living on my own. I have to pay rent right. and all that. So I put together a band and we performed for money. And we ended up starting to sell records and sign a deal and got a few albums out there. And uh, that was basically the beginning of music. Now, because when I say I'm partially deaf, my hearing loss is like I'm completely deaf in one year. In my right ear, I have no hearing whatsoever, but in my left ear, I have 97% hearing. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. So that doesn't necessarily hamper my musical practice. Okay. Uh, it, it does hamper my audio engineering, however. Ah. Well, I mean, we're going to take a listen to one of these songs. Is there like a sort of a quick introduction that you can share with us about this particular song? And then we can uh, we can have a listen together. Well, this little song is called uh, When I Play the Guitar, and was just a quick little thing that uh, I initially just uh, whipped it out to entertain my girlfriend because we often get into a little argument that she, she would say, you write songs with so many people, so many projects, how, how come you don't write anything for me? And I, <laughs> So I was like, okay, you know what? Here, I'm going to write a song for you, and then... Next day, I presented her with a song which really amused her. Oh, that's awesome. All right, let's have a listen of this. When I play the guitar, I sing of you And all the things that we used to do Every little detail so clear in my head And every word that you have said When I play the guitar, I still miss you I know the little weird thing to do All the time we fought and the time we loved And all the times that I was wrong Nowadays the songs are too complicated With words that no one else can relay With computer-generated instruments And no one sings from their heart anymore When I play the guitar, I dream of the past And sing of all the fun that we had it can make me cry and make me sad And sometimes even make me laugh
this little ditty johnny um so thank you for sharing it with us you uh mentioned that the audio design uh like the editing and the design like what's the process of putting to are you recording at home i'm not a musician can you tell like my questions are so like inarticulate because i'm not a musician but maybe you can briefly tell us about your process and if there are any barriers to the process for you well um i mean nowadays a lot of people are so talented and you get the right package, you know, you get the right microphone and a portable booth and right software, and you can do a lot of these recordings just from home and produce amazing stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I started recording from home way back in 2000, and honestly, I had no bloody idea of what I was doing. Uh -huh. like, I, no one taught me anything. No one was there to answer my question. I basically saw this software called Cool Edit. And someone said, yeah, you can record your, and you can record at home. And I started, I downloaded it on my computer and started playing around with it. This is why our first few albums had a really rough, like, uh, garage, like almost like if you ever listen to the first few, uh, music put out by the Beatles and people right. back then, it has a really down to earth, like they're just playing and recording on tape recorder kind of quality. Yeah. Uh, so my first al a few albums ha you know, had that because I literally had no idea how to do any kind of editing. I just press record, everyone, okay, guitar ready, drum ready, piano ready, one, two, three, record. And then we just do, end up like doing 50 or 60 retakes, take a whole day to record a song sometime because we didn't know how to edit anything. So any yeah. anytime anyone did anything wrong, we end up having to start over. But now you're doing an editing process, right? Now I'm doing, I still don't know what I'm doing, but now I know a little bit more than before. So I actually know how to edit out some background noise, how to level out the sound and uh, bring some sound forward and back and uh, widen the sound field and all those stuff. But, well, partially it's, uh, partly it's being blind. A lot of these softwares require you to be able to see the yeah. waves on the screen to really know what's going on. And that makes it really difficult. And then secondly, being uh, totally deaf in one year means I have a really hard time balancing out left and right sound. Right. Uh, so mixing track is not one of my strong suits. So how do you get around those barriers? Usually I try to contract one of my more talented uh, friends or people that and are into audio engineering that re actually know what they're doing. Uh, when I tackle a project and I realize, nope, this is too big for me, then I shoot an email to someone 
uh, that I know and say, hey, can you give this a l- listen and see what you can do to uh, make it this uh, workable? I love that. Inviting allies into the work, right? Yeah, and, and you know, distribute the wealth, right? And if I if I can, I always make sure to uh, try to compensate them for their time. I do, I do exactly the same thing. I love to be able to spread the wealth, spread the joy in the work. I think that's really important. So, of course, this is, you know, just one bit of what you do. And we could spend the whole podcast talking just about you as a singer-songwriter, but you're also a tactile artist. What does this mean, Johnny? Well, tactile art is a relatively new concept in the art community uh, right now. And for some people, uh, it means making art that other people can touch. That is probably the, the easiest way to explain that. And everyone has a different process. Some people, they do statues. Some people, they do plaster, a 3D plaster uh, boards and uh, sculptures. And some people, they work with yarns and knittings. And some people, they have other means of making things that you can touch and feel. Yeah, because we're so used to things being in a gallery that you can only look at. Right. And that is, uh, you know, that is a very sad state of affair that we we are so advanced in many areas, but blind people, low low vision people still can't uh, really get a full enjoyment at an art gallery or museum. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, we can sit here and hash this out all day long again it's a really big topic because just because you can feel it doesn't mean the art comes through that's another thing um, yeah you know like i have a lot of time when people show me a piece of art and hey you know look at this this is a, a towel that i have a beautiful pattern knitted on it and i mean when, when i feel it it's a it's a towel yeah I, I was just gonna say can i, I have to tell you just a quick anecdote because somebody took me to a museum in Colorado for uh, an art symposium, an accessible art symposium. And they were they had a touch tour of a painting. Uh, and instead of touching the painting, because you couldn't do that, they were they found elements that were in the painting for you to touch. And one of the elements was a bunch of grapes. Oh. So they handed me a bunch of grapes and said, These are, this is an example of the grapes that are in the painting. And I was like, really? I know what grapes I'm... are like. I know, right? So like the towel. Thanks. It feels like a towel. Thanks for the bunch of grapes that's not really access. Anyways, exactly. I digress, Johnny. Exactly. I'm not going to kick out of that. I mean, that, that is a perfect example. Like, sometimes, you know, it's good try. I would say, you know, it's, it's a good try on the artist's part. On the, it's on kind the... of tokenistic, though, in a way, doesn't it? It's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, but, but you know. of access. Yeah, yeah, but, but it, it needs to go further. It needs to yeah. not, not just touch a bunch of grapes, but we need to know, like, how are these grapes presented on the painting? And yeah. uh, what's the significance what's the of the purpose of the what's, Yeah, exactly. Right. So for my own practice, like I said, there's so many different ways of doing things tactilely. So for my own practice, what I do is I etched pictures into metals like aluminum and copper. I also work with uh, acrylic and plastic. Uh, but those, uh, those things take really a lot more effort to get an imprint to take and that would mean anything to a person touching them. My favorite medium is aluminum and copper because they take such good imprint. So the lines are really crisp and you can really be able to feel what's going on. So 
just a sec, Johnny, when you say aluminum, like I'm thinking of like tinfoil, but this is like, this is going to be like a thick piece of aluminum, right? Yeah, it's not, uh, I mean, tinfoil is very close because when I first started, uh, the, the, it was my brother who actually hinted me, uh, like sort of the, 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 uh, steered me into this direction. And my brother did an illustration on a piece of regular tin foil. And yeah. he, said, he he went, hey, see, you know, you can you, if you do it this way, then you can draw pictures just like the rest of us. And that's oh. what got me started down this road. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, tin foil is too thin, and so a lot of time it will break when you're trying to draw. So, right. but uh, this is for any listener out there who might want to try this. You want to look for aluminum sheets that it's thirty-six to thirty-eight gauges. Uh, anything too thick won't take an imprint. Anything too thin will break too easily. Yeah, thirty-six to thirty-eight gauge. So then what's your process? You are drawing on top of this aluminum. What is it you're drawing? And where where did the ideas for the pictures come from? So the process, it can be very simple and can be very complicated, depending on how advanced you want to get with your uh, detail work. I always tell people, like in the beginning, if you just want to play around, this is perfectly easy to do. If you just get a piece of aluminum, put it on top of a, a rubber pad, uh, yeah. And just go at it with a fountain pen, uh, yeah. and you'll you'll be amazed at what you can come up with just with that. But for me, because I, uh, I I also focus a lot on different textures for different items, so I have a huge briefcase full of different tools that I would make different squiggles and lines and uh, imprints and jacket uh, textures, for example. If I'm drawing something like a dragon or a snake, the scale would have really sharp textures. And if I'm drawing lightning, that lightning would be totally jagged to the touch. Right. So I, I think when it comes to tactile art, it's not just the shape. We need that extra stimulation. Uh, what feels like water, what feels like rock for people to be able to interact with it better. For idea, a lot of my idea come from my daily life. I uh, I do a lot of picture of me playing with my cats and my cats getting up to different shenanigans. A lot of the idea also come from my deep love in fantasy books, epic fantasy, Asian mythology. So I, I do a lot of dragon, sword, sorcery, Lord of the Ring type of illustration as well. I love that. So let me just, I'm making the picture in my mind. So you've got this this sheet of aluminum and uh, it's on top of a little rubber pad. I'm imagining it kind of like perhaps the size of like a, I don't know, like a like a, like a, a placemat under, like a, under a dinner plate, a placemat. And you can draw on it. And then when you flip it over on the other side, you can feel the raised lines and the textures of what you printed on the other side. Is that kind of right? That's exactly, that's exactly right. And that, oh, is also, that is also part of what makes this process difficult when you start to get into fine details because sometimes yeah. you lose track of where did I put the right <laughs> eye of this person? And then you, you flip the paper over and try to find it. 
and then you flip uh-huh. it back, and then so you your dragon has eyeballs on its tails. So yeah, so yeah. You know, like a lot of people have no idea how often I start out drawing something and then. I mess it up halfway through, and it turns into something else because I don't want to throw the sheet away. So sometimes you have to be able to just be able to improvise something if you do mess it up. That's right. That's right. So if you if you draw the eyeball, you know, too far away from the head, then you have to turn it into steam that comes out of a frustrated animal or something. <laughs> or or you can just uh, like uh, sometimes if for example if I uh, put the the eyeball. On the body, and I thought that was the head, and I thought, oops, okay, now, now what I do with that? Then I add a chain so it looked like an amulet that's hanging on the go. animal. There you go. See, you're so creative in so many ways. I love this. Is this an expensive art form, Johnny? If people wanted to like try it, is it because you just talked about not wanting to throw a sheet away, and that makes me think that it might be expensive, but. Honestly, it, it 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 can be like uh, some of the tools in my tool set. I I have a drawing kit that cost about six hundred dollar Canadian. Yeah. Um, and when you buy the aluminum, it like I I get it off of Amazon, and for a fifty feet row of aluminum, you will be looking at forty five dollar. So yeah. definitely. It, it's not money that you want to throw away. And uh, if it's copper, then it costs even more. If copper, Worse. you you would be spending like $50 Canadian for only six feet of copper sheet. So yeah, that, of course. Yeah, that's something you want to invest in. And I think you can also experiment with other things in your house. Like what kind of texture does a popsicle stick make if you press it hard enough or you know, I don't know, paper clips. Like there's other things. You know what I think about? I think about um, anybody who's a chef will know this. The little cutting tool that you use to to cut uh, ravioli strips, right? It looks like a little wheel and you just roll it along your pasta dough. So if you roll that along your edge of your aluminum uh, sheets, you'd get these little like dimple effects. So I, I bet you there's a lot of sort of MacGyvered tools that somebody can, you know, just experiment with too. Oh yes, I I have a lot of stuff in my toolkit that came from kitchen appliances. Yeah, I, I actually have a pizza cutter in my exactly, toolkit. Exactly, <laughs> same idea. Yep, that's the same idea as this ravioli thing I was talking about. It's exactly it. I think that's awesome, Johnny. Your work has has been in some galleries. Do you want to talk about the Amplified Voices Gallery, which is just happening here in Vancouver? This is like a very new te- territory for me. I just started to go a little bit more pro and more in the public eyes this year. So my work has so far has, uh, appeared at two different art shows. Um, and yes, one piece of one of my pieces, it's called Aslan's First Hunt. Aslan's the cat of my, uh, the, the name of my younger cat. And th- this piece is basically a Aslan killing or who just killed his first mouse. Uh-huh. It's a pretty gruesome story behind that. But, you know, we have a bit of a time restraint, so I won't go into that today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that piece will be at the, on display at the Italian Cultural Center and should be there from May 11th to July 31st. And it is available for purchase for anyone who wanted. I will... Uh, say this that it is behind glass like it's framed beautifully uh, behind yeah. glass right now so 
which is a sore point with me because I pride myself as a, being a tactile artist. But when you put the art behind glass, and it's no longer tactile. Yeah. So, you know, you, if anyone want to interact with it and or purchase it and want to interact with it, it, it's perfectly fine to take it out of the frame. Like I would actually encourage you to do that because. If you take out of the frame, you will get way more joy out of the piece than just leaving it in there. Hey, Johnny, you know, just as we're we're finishing this conversation, I hear that sound, which means it's time to play the mixed bag. So I'm going to just transition. Uh, the mixed bag is 30 seconds and you get up to three questions to just, you know, share with us a little bit more about who you are. So do you think you're ready, Johnny? Okay, let's go. Let's go, mixed bag. Johnny, what is your favorite junk food? Steak and cheese sub. Steak and cheese sub? You call that junk food? I call that a meal. <laughs> but that's okay. Oh, that's okay. That tells me you're eating like broccoli and rice on a regular basis. And <laughs> I, I, really, I really am. <laughs> no, no chips and cheesies for you. Right on to the steak and cheese sub. I love that. Okay, next question is, what is your favorite game to play? My favorite game to play, actually, that's an audio game called Swamp, Zombie Apocalypse, first-person shooter, one of my favorite game ever. Oh, so it sounds like it's accessible, audio described, audio game. It even has my own voice in, in uh, two of the characters, so it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, and the last question I have for you, Johnny, is, and I bet you I already know the answer to this, if you could be any animal, what would you be? If I can be any animal, wow, this is uh, hard. I would be a cat. Uh, that's exactly what I thought you were going to say. I thought maybe you'd say dragon. However, it's not really an animal. It's a mythical animal. Why a cat, Johnny? Well, a, a cat gets to sleep with all kinds of cool people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Hey, Johnny, where can people find your artwork if they want to reach out to you on the World Wide Web? Right now, uh, the portion of the website for my artwork is still under construction. However, if you go to johnnytiger.com, and that's exactly what it sounds like, johnnytiger.com, you will find my documentary, my video, and uh, my two YouTube channels are there. And I regularly post updates of my new artwork and pieces on my YouTube channel. So johnnytiger.com is a, it's a one stop. You need to go for everything Johnny Tiger related. Awesome. Johnny, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me again. We have said goodbye to Johnny, but before we say goodbye to you, I just want to share with you this quote of the day by Leo F. Buscaglia. Too often we underestimate the power of touch. This podcast is produced by me, Amy Amanti, on the unceded traditional territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh First Peoples, colonially known as Vancouver, British Columbia. Our technical producer on this podcast is Jacob Shemansky, and the manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Hey, we would love your feedback. Perhaps you or someone you know is an artist that lives with a disability? Please reach out to us with any comments. You can do that by phone at 1-866-509-4545 or by email at feedback at ami.ca. Thanks again to my special guest today, Johnny Tai. Keep exploring. We'll see you next time. 
Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.